It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. You know, when you want to have a conversation about how to fix this country, which is something we try to do on a daily basis, so many aspects. Look, America's got a lot of work to do. We're a great country, but we have our issues like any other society. One of the people I turn to, someone I read regularly and uh, certainly always appreciate coming on the show, is my next guest, uh, Philip K. Howard, uh, who is the author of Not Accountable, Rethinking the Constitutionality of Public Employee Unions. And, you know, Philip, I started out by talking about government dysfunction, certainly something you and I have discussed over the years on air, something you have worked on, uh, whether at a city, state, or at a federal level, but I wonder how much, how deep or complete is the understanding of the public sector unions and their entrenched power in government at all levels? No, it's not understood at all. It's sort of accepted as a state of nature because most of the time people, uh, you talk about policies, you know, do, should we do something about climate change or immigration or whatever? Um, but the operations of government, how a school works, you know, whether you can get permits for new infrastructure, all that sort of stuff, that's really what people need day to day. They need government to work effectively. And over the last 50 years, without really noticing how it happened, uh, public employees unions have seized control of the operating machinery of government. So really nothing much works as it should. And it, it, it's a scandal. I mean, it's like burning money. Uh, and it's, it's horrible. It's horrible for underprivileged children in lousy schools. You know, it's terrible for the environment because we can't get permits for new transmission lines to bring the power from, you know, wind farms in the Midwest or whatever. It's, it's just it's terrible for everybody. And so I've written this book, just came out today, uh, that makes an argument that no one's made before which so far I've gotten, you know, a bunch of reviews. People say, think that I have to be right. Well, people, I think, hear the terms, right? The bumper sticker, public sector unions, government worker unions. And the understanding is something that you've worked uh, at getting across to people. Uh, When... You know, when you say, as you have, you know, when we have this situation, schools can't work, bad cops can't be fired, and politicians sell their souls for union support. You know, is there any or how do we get some form of change and some form of leadership that says, hold on, we need to make sure there's function, not dysfunction? Yeah, I think we need to, I think the first, well, the, the book argues that what's happened is unconstitutional, that that the, the powers that legislatures gave to public employee unions for collective bargaining and restrictions on employee accountability and the like are unconstitutional. You're not allowed as a political leader to delegate your sovereign power to any private group. And Madison talked about it, James Madison at the beginning of the Republic. You can't give it to a group of nobles. You can't give it to, quote, any favored class. 
And that's what's happened. They've given um, a veto power plus more to these public employee unions. And people accept it, I think, because they think that, well, it's just the way unions are. And they're just like, you know, trade unions, auto workers or steel workers. But they're not. They're completely different. You know, in a in, in a trade union negotiation, it's all about dividing the, the pie between capital and labor, and there's a real negotiation involved. In and and if the union asks for too much, the company moves out of town, you know, or or goes out of business. In in the public sector, uh, there's no such leverage by the you know by any official. Um, the government can't move out of town. And the money doesn't come out of the politician's pocket or, or even his supporters. It comes out of the public at large, right? But worse is that the public unions now are the leading political supporters of people who get elected. So it's collusive. They get someone elected, the unions get someone elected by literally throwing hundreds or thousands of workers plus billions of dollars a year, literally billions. Um, and then they sit down on the same side of the table with the person that got elected and say, now, what are you going to give me? It's a payoff. This track, uh, as you point out, again, the book, Not Accountable, Rethinking the Constitutionality of Public Employee Unions, uh, it, it began in the 60s. But let's address the constitutional aspects of this. Is there a constitutional uh aspect in the states. You have obviously the state constitutions and state level government, and then you have the federal government in the U.S. Constitution. So can you go a little bit further in how this should be tackled? Sure. So in, in the federal government, there's actually a lot of law. Um, uh, the federal constitution breaks, allocates powers among three groups, the Congress, the legislative branch, the executive, the president, um, and, and, and the courts. And, and there's a lot of Supreme Court precedent on how much Congress can limit the president's executive power. And among those rulings is you can't take away the power to hold subordinate officials accountable. Well, in federal government, and indeed at all levels of government in this country, there's zero accountability. I mean, near zero. We're talking about one tenth, two tenths of one percent. So, you know, a couple of people out of a hundred thousand a year. So there's basically no accountability. Democracy is just a process of accountability. We elect people, but they don't do a good job. We elect someone else, and that accountability doesn't work unless the people we elect can hold the people underneath them accountability or accountable. So, so just. Just as a matter of kind of democratic principle, accountability is like the stem cell of democracy, and that's been completely removed. So that's one problem. Going to state and local government, same problem, but the larger principle of you can't um, take away sovereign powers to hold someone accountable, to manage government, all that kind of stuff, is embodied in the federal constitution – where there's a provision in Article 4 that says the United States shall guarantee to every state a Republican form of government. And what that means is that states can organize themselves however they want, but the people who are in charge 
have to be accountable to voters. That's what a Republican form of government means. James Madison talked about this at length, at, you know, during the constitutional debates and such. So, so what? So voters have have to have the right to elect someone who has the authority to actually run government. And what's happened with the public collective bargaining agreements is that we elect mayors and governors who have no authority to run the school system, to fix a bad school. They have no authority to fire a road cop. They have no authority to run the MTA in New York efficiently. I mean, we're talking about feather bedding and inefficiencies that probably triple the costs of many government services. Trash collection in New York City and Chicago is double the cost of private carters. So we're, you know, it's like the people we elect are no longer in charge. That, that is unconstitutional because the point of democracy is to elect people who are in charge. Right, and we delegate that authority, but that's subordinated, as you described, by those really in power that outlast the politicians. Politicians come and go, but the union remains. So now, Philip, the, the, <laughs> the difficult challenge, the how. how. How from a constitutional standpoint? Is, is there a how and a who here that yeah. starts that process? Clearly, we, we you know, uh, uh, well, I'm talking to a bunch of, um, public interest litigation groups, but what's needed is to get a governor and or some mayors to bring a lawsuit to uh, to disavow these these collective bargaining agreements and have it go up to the Supreme Court. I would love to have this topic brought up at the U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting, which is underway, I think, as you and I are are speaking right now in Washington, D.C. And your point about mayors, you know, is the path likely? I mean, the federal level is a behemoth, right? You got the AFGE. It's just uh, talk about power centralized. But, you know, to get there, do you start lower uh, as in you're descri- describing with the mayors and maybe a few brave mayors because you, you've got to be able to take on and withstand. Right, that's right. And so people haven't taken on the unions, only a few people politically, because they're like this giant fire-breathing dragon. You know, if you if you buck the unions, they will consolidate unbelievable sums of money from the whole country to get you defeated. And I tell the stories in the book of the ways in which unions have used brute force to, to cream political leaders. The one person who's really succeeded in recent years was Scott Walker in Wisconsin who took on the unions. He got the, most of their you know, restrictions and controls removed. And uh, and they just went nuts. You know, they took over the Capitol. They occupied the Capitol one day. The Democratic legislators left the state so they wouldn't have a quorum to vote on Scott Walker's reforms. I mean, it's one thing after another. And then Scott Walker won. And what did they do? They got the Democratic prosecutor to indict Scott Walker. And and in the battle, and they had a recall election, and then they indicted him. And, and they. 
And that ultimately got overturned by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I mean, they will stop at nothing. So, you know. I mean, it's it seems insurmountable. It does. It's not, it's not but it seems that way for the the average person out there. To say, how do you how do you take this on? And I got to tell you, it's going to take a brave group of mayors and lawyers. It sounds like this is a case for lawfare. Yes, you you can't take it on politically, and I go through that, and I have an indictment, a five point indictment of, of the unions in the book. It just talks about how horrible it behaved. I mean, son, man, but you, you get teachers refusing to go back to schools during COVID because their contract doesn't doesn't provide for them to have to go back to schools, and also refusing to do remote teaching, so the contract doesn't provide for that. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Underprivileged third graders in one study lost 17 percentile points in learning, you know, compared to the prior period. And the experts say they will never get that back. You really affected their lives because the teachers unions refused to work. Everybody else worked, nurses and grocery clerks and other essential workers, but the teachers refused it. So, so politically, so what they've done to America, to government, is to make it basically not work. Your government's government for the unions and by the unions, not government for the people, and and it's impossible to take on politically because they'll clean you. They just have too much. You know, they've consolidated the mass of public employees. There are 22 million people who work for government in this country, and seven million of them belong to the unions. That's all. That's the biggest interest group in the country. They'll clean you. But they can't cream a a court proceeding. So someone brings the case and a court decides. And I assume the court, you know, it's a federal case because it's hopeless in state law because state law judges usually get elected or appointed with unions aboard. So they're not going to buck them either. It has to be in the federal court. And then it goes to the Supreme Court. I hope. I, well, I, when you say uh, organizations, I think of you know those legal groups out there that fight against government corruption, and I hope they're all reading this book. Not just reading it, but you lay out the path to the indictment uh, and the, and the approach. Uh, maybe state legislators also need to pick this up if they're so willing. Uh, boy, I, I tell you no. what, I wish I, I wish I had ten thousand copies to hand out to to all these people. Well, you know, the most important first step is to get the public angry. Have the public understand what's really happened here, because that sort of uh, plows the field for the lawsuit. So you can bring a lawsuit out of the blue and, and, and hopefully win it. But, but if the public understands what's happened, if no one's really laid this out before, the public understands the harm that is caught on a daily basis, the harm that is caused to this country, the harm that's caused the school, the harm that's the extra cost taxpayers have to pay because of all the feather bedding, the, 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 the mistrust that's completely poisoned relations between minority communities and the police because they know that nobody's accountable. You know, all of the harm, which I go through in the book, is really horrible. People need to be outraged by it. And it's against the backdrop of, of public anger. I mean, like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle 100 years ago, 
expose the disgusting practices in meatpacking plants in Chicago. You know, some people read that and they said, "Ugh, you know, I don't want to eat that stuff." And and it it propelled a kind of revulsion that led to the the poor the Pure Food and Drug Act. So something neat like that needs to happen here, which is that the public needs to be outraged by how much of their money is wasted, by how poor the services are for no reason, for no reason. It's just, it's just because the public unions like to show that they're powerful and, and have no one ever be accountable. You know, it's even bad for the people who work in government. Who wants to work in a, in an agency or department where you know performance doesn't matter. Like letting the air, there's no pride in that. You want to work in a place that's really serving, that's doing a great job, and you take pride in doing a great job. It's, just, it's horrible for everybody. Yeah, and in the end, we the people, the country, the country loses because we're we're less functional. We're we're inefficient. Uh, so many things that over the years you've done through Common Good, uh, your organization, and through the works, the books that you've put out, the papers. Uh, the book again is not accountable. Rethinking the constitutionality of public employee unions, and I, you know, I, I went through it, but I'm going to spend a little more time in this. Philip, and then I want to walk through that indictment process. It, I, I think that's so key to this that people understand the path that exists, and maybe we can magnify that message. Not maybe we will magnify that even more. So let's plan a part two on the indictment proceedings and how, if nothing else, help the people become more outraged in this audience. Fantastic! I love you know you're so. You have such a great gift, David, for getting you the nub of things. And so I'd love to come back and, and talk about that. All right. We're going to have that scheduled, focusing on the indictment process and what's needed. Uh, Philip, great to talk to you again, my friend. And yeah. and again, I, I appreciate the work you do. I really do. I have learned so much from you in the years we've known each other. Great. Nice to be with you. Ditto. Not accountable. Rethinking the constitutionality of public employees. Even Jimmy Carter said government worker unions shouldn't exist. How about that? You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.